Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The FT. TSB is to float in London with shares offered to customers. If Scotland became independent, what would happen to shares, gilts and the pound? And can you really make any money out of fracking? Welcome to The Money Show, the FT's most downloaded podcast. I'm Jonathan Ely and I'll be giving you all the money news this week in downloadable form. With some help from my FT colleague, Guy Shazan. Hi. Plus two special studio guests, Matthew Beasley of Henderson. Hello. And Bill O'Neill of UBS Wealth Management. Hello. It's been a while coming. But Lloyd's this week announced that it will float its TSB subsidiary on the stock market. Individual investors will be invited to apply for the shares, which should start to trade towards the end of June. It isn't the only one. One Savings, the parent company of the Kent Reliance Building Society, is also coming to the market, and there is plenty of speculation that other challenger banks, such as Metro and Virgin Money, will also seek a stock market listing. The TSB float isn't entirely a matter of choice for Lloyds. The company was required to dispose of more than 700 branches under EU state aid rules after it was bailed out by the government. It had initially planned to sell them to the cooperative bank, but that deal collapsed after the co-op got into difficulties. Plan B was to resurrect the TSB fascia and float the bank on the stock market instead, and doing that has so far cost Lloyds around £1.5 billion. But are the shares likely to be a good investment? And after several recent high-profile listings have flopped, should you buy them? Now, most of the brokers who serve retail investors are involved in some way with the listing process and therefore cannot talk about the company in detail. So we asked a fund manager instead, and here he is. Matthew Beasley is head of global equities at Henderson, the investment manager. Matthew, some fund managers make a point of telling us that they hate banks and don't understand how they work and say they will never buy their shares. I'm taking it you're not in that camp. No, we're not. And I mean, generally, I'd say banks are interesting when they are either being aggressively restructured and are very cheap as a result, or they're in or participating in an economy that is growing substantially. Now, TSB is probably not going to come at a price that is excessively cheap, but certainly there is restructuring to be done. And undoubtedly, the UK economy is growing and indeed accelerating in terms of growth. So there are some things perhaps to get people interested in TSB. And when we compare it to the other banks that are quoted on the stock exchange, what what are its characteristics? What's its sales pitch, if you like, to investors? TSB is going to be, well, it is the seventh largest retail bank in the UK. It's got 631 branches. But what's interesting is while they've got 6% of all branches in the UK, they've only got a 4% share of the current account market and just a less than a 1.4% share of the mortgage market. 
In other words, they're about the same size as the nationwide when it comes to branches, yet they've got a fifth of the loan book. So in terms of income per branch, they are between two and three times less efficient than the average bank on the UK high street. So the real opportunity as an investment is for the management team to take this bank uh, and to make it more efficient, to sell more product through the existing infrastructure and for profits to rise accordingly. Now, when you say sell more product, that could mean current accounts, but I'm guessing that a lot of that is going to be mortgages. And of course, it's an interesting time in the mortgage market at the moment because you've had the mortgage market review and then you've got uh, people constantly sticking their hands up and saying, but there's a bubble in house prices. Is it the wrong time to be floating a mortgage-heavy bank or is it? are they doing it just in time, do you think? Its existing book, which of course it is, is inherited from Lloyd's, it's been carved out of the Lloyd's business, is going to be very sensitive to interest rate rises. It's a very substantially variable rate book of business. So if interest rates rise in the UK, which of course we all expect them to do as the economy continues to recover, this bank will benefit. Margins will rise as a result. But you're absolutely right. Where people will worry from an investment perspective is they are writing new mortgage business, so taking on new mortgage customers now um, at the wrong point of the cycle, at a point when uh, mortgage uh, approvals are extended and when house prices clearly have risen substantially. And so any hope of a um, improved profitability uh, from the existing book will be potentially outweighed by concerns over less profitable new business going forward. And the company has been very careful to manage um, expectations around dividends. Banks once uh, accounted for a huge percentage of uh, UK dividends, and that all changed in, in 2008 and 2009. What is TSB's dividend prognosis? So TSB has said they're not going to pay dividends until at least 2017. Uh, and this is the year in which the cost, their cost base will step up. So they have what they call service agreements with Lloyds Bank. So Lloyds Bank provide them with lots of infrastructure, which TSB pay for. And they will start paying more for that infrastructure in 2017, uh, which, of course, will incentivize them to build their own uh, distribution infrastructure. And TSB has said until that step up in costs, they can't be confident they have sufficient excess capital, so spare money, uh, to pay out as dividends. And this, I think, is one of the biggest issues with the TSB float for investors, is that unlike many of the other banks that have prospects of paying dividends to us sooner rather than later, and their parent Lloyds Bank is clearly in that category, TSB are telling us very clearly there will be no dividends for at least three to four years. And I think that will put many investors off this bank. And finally, you mentioned a moment ago that the shares don't look like they're going to be screamingly cheap. On the sort of spectrum of valuations from the cheapest to the, uh, to the most expensive, who sits where? We still own Lloyds Bank, and we still think Lloyds Bank is a bank that is restructuring uh, and misvalued, uh, given the growth it has ahead of it. The challenge with, with, with TSB is that when you look forward, it's going to probably earn a return that is you know, a little bit lower than where Lloyds Bank is today, as we look out over the next two or three years. But in the meantime, you've got some of the challenge that we've just discussed. So the stock is going to trade um, at certainly the midpoint of the pricing range at about book value. Uh, yet the returns that this bank is going to make are going to be probably only just above its cost of capital as you look for the next three or four years. So that would suggest that these shares are going to probably come at what I would describe as a fair valuation range rather than a particularly attractive valuation range. So whereas this bank you know, used to be uh, the bank that liked to say yes, probably from an investment perspective, I'd probably suggest we say no. Matthew Beasley, thank you very much. And there's more on the TSB float on our website at ft.com forward slash money. And we'll be taking a good long look at the prospectus, that's the official document containing all the information a company is required to disclose ahead of a stock market listing, when it's published in a week or two's time. Still to come on the show, fracking has triggered something akin to a new gold rush in parts of the US. But will it take off over here?
First, though, let's look north. North of Hadrian's Wall, to be precise. In September this year, the people of Scotland will vote on whether to become an independent country. Most polls and the bookmakers suggest that they will vote no. But quite a large proportion of voters remain undecided, so there's still everything to play for. Just this week, the rival camps rolled out long-range economic forecasts to justify their positions. And the Yes camp has promised a £2,000 bonus for every Scottish household if the vote goes their way. If the vote were yes, and that of course is a very big if, Scotland would not become independent straight away. There would be a period of about 18 months to get everything sorted out. Carving out a separate financial system for Scotland would of course be hugely complicated, especially given that Scotland's financial services industry is a big contributor to the Scottish economy, and that it serves many thousands of clients in the rest of the UK. Many companies north of the border are reluctant to comment on the implications of Scottish independence because of the political sensitivities. But those who provide financial and investment advice are already getting questions from some of their clients. I'm joined now by Bill O'Neill of UBS Wealth Management, part of the Swiss bank of the same name. Bill, most of the talk about Scottish devolution so far has been about whether it can have a formal currency union with the UK and whether it can join the EU. We don't have answers for a lot of these questions yet, but we do know that financial markets don't generally like uncertainty. Does that mean that if there is a yes vote, there'll be a lot of volatility in all asset markets? Clearly, yes. That's the short answer. Um, The markets are not prepared for a yes vote. So in the technical parlance, the risk premium on all sterling assets, particularly those attached to Scotland, would rise. And clearly we would see an impact from sterling, we believe. Probably less so in the gilt market and the equity market, but the major flexibility would come through in the adjustment in sterling. But again, the market's view at the moment is that the no vote will prevail. When you say an adjustment in sterling, that means you would would expect it to fall. To to fall. And I think you you would see volatility clearly because it's a major concern constitutional transformation. The political consensus, as they would have been overturned, it would usher in a period of extended uncertainty. And what about quoted companies? Uh, A lot of Scottish companies that are listed on the stock exchange are are in areas like financial services, companies like Aberdeen or Standard Life, or in energy. What would be the likely impact there, do you think? Well, clearly, I think that the valuations would come under pressure. Values would be seen to be subject to risk from the point of view of what eventually would be the currency of denomination, the extent to which basically, for instance, trading across the border would become more expensive. There would be transactional costs in the way there weren't before. Also, clearly, you would see the prospect possibly of capital flows cross-border as well, either in advance of independence itself or in the aftermath. There are a large number of investment companies in Scotland, investment trusts, practically a Scottish invention, some would say. How do you think they will be affected? Well, clearly, it's down at the end of the day, the diversification that the underlying assets have. And it's how much of your asset base is actually connected with Scotland. And clearly then, if you look at something that's affected by Scottish referendum result, consequently, the risk attached to that. But I think really the issue is more about the governance of these entities, whether they may choose to basically re-domicile south of the border, Um, and clearly the extent to which a period of formal currency arrangements or a permanent formal currency arrangement would also be attached to a banking union, a fiscal union as well. 
Now, UBS Wealth Management serves relatively well-off individuals as a generalisation, and we're constantly told that wealth is, is very mobile. What's the feedback that you're getting from your client base? Are they concerned, or is it just precautionary at the moment? I would describe it as large, precautionary rather than actually outright concern. Alongside the consensus, the view is that basically the no vote will prevail. Um, there's interesting stories here in terms of the longer game in regard to devolution. But right now, if you look at basically what our, our investor clients are saying to us, the clue is about their asset value. Um, looking at diversification within their portfolio across markets and across across regions. Looking, first of all, at, at clearly, as you say, the currency issue is extremely important and um, the risk of redenomination uh, at some point. Also, the banking arrangements that they may be actually open to exposed to in Scotland as well. And finally, I think there is the sense that what is going to happen to businesses, how are businesses going to be positioned relative to those side of the border? Will there be a different tax regime? The extent to which basic a new, more efficient tax system appropriate to Scotland may impact on them. You know, um, How are we going to see in terms of actually incentives to business generation, how that may change? But I think that clearly the interesting thing is really the devolution story. It's likely that if the yes vote is in, in excess of, say, 40%, that it will, say, usher in a period of review in regard to the powers devolved to the Edinburgh Parliament. So that could effectively mean that, that in fiscal terms, at least, Scotland becomes largely independent of the rest of the UK, whatever the outcome is. I think there would be still a serious a sense of fiscal dependency, but to change the mix of taxes so that basically domestic-generated Scottish taxes would be assigned to the Edinburgh Parliament. The interesting story here, of course, for businesses is the extent to which changes in business tax creates incentives and penalties vis-à-vis the population on the other side of the border. Thank you very much. That was Bill O'Neill of UBS Wealth Management. FT Money's cover feature this week is devoted to a closer look at the possible implications of Scottish independence. We look not only at Scotland, but those English areas close to the border, where there is already some anecdotal evidence of people delaying house purchases, for instance, because of this uncertainty. FT Money is part of the Weekend FT, which is on sale on both Saturday and Sunday, and you can read online at any time ft.com forward slash money. Weekend FT is also available on mobile devices via a free web app in both Apple and Android versions. We're always keen to hear your views too. You can leave comments on articles on our website or you can email us directly. The address is money at ft.com. On to our final item for today. It's no exaggeration to say that shale gas and oil has transformed the US economy from being a net importer of hydrocarbons to being virtually self-sufficient. Shale hydrocarbons are trapped in rock and can only be released using the controversial process known as hydraulic fracturing, or fracking, which is energy-intensive and can cause environmental damage. Across swathes of Texas and North Dakota in particular, Thousands of wells are busy injecting water, sand and chemicals into the rock to get the oil and gas out. Last week, the British Geological Survey reported that southern counties of England could contain lots of shale oil too. But even exploratory surveys in that part of the world have met with big local protests, and George Osborne's father-in-law has controversially said that fracking should take place in what he termed the desolate north, Guy Shazan is an energy correspondent for the FT and visited the protest sites in the home counties several times last year. Guy, first of all, 
Is it valid, really, to compare what may lie beneath the home counties to the US shale boom or even to the the North Sea oil and gas? Well, not really, because the British Geological Survey recently revealed that there could be around 4 billion barrels of oil in the Weald, which is this area of Kent, Sussex, Surrey and Hampshire. But that's not really a huge amount, and especially that figure is for oil in place, which means that potentially there's that amount of oil, but only a small percentage of that can actually be extracted because it's very difficult to get at. Some geologists are talking about maybe 1% of that 4.4 billion barrels, so that would amount to around 50 million barrels of extractable oil, which is only two months of UK consumption of crude. So it's not actually a huge amount. It's not going to overnight kind of change the energy balance of the UK. That hasn't stopped the government making some very positive noises, though, about backing fracking, for want of a better term. Yeah. What are they proposing? Well, th- there's a whole bunch of uh, tax incentives now for shale explorers, both in oil and gas. They're also proposing a £100,000 per site payment uh, for, for communities, which has been dismissed by the environmentalists as a bribe. Just recently, earlier this month, they talked about an additional payment of £20,000 per well to sort of also sweeten the whole premise of drilling for shale oil and gas in people's environment so it's obvious that they're really going for this they're very gung-ho the government but there is enormous popular opposition to this and it is really debatable whether these community incentives that they've introduced and the tax breaks will, will be able to sort of get this industry going when there's so much built-in opposition to it. In terms of environmental impact, I mean, how dangerous is fracking? We hear some stories from the US about people's drinking water catching fire and things like that. Is it it really that hazardous? I think there have been some cases of groundwater contamination, but they're very few and far between. I I think the general consensus in the industry is that if a well is constructed properly... Uh, and all the precautions are taken, which are necessary, then there's absolutely no risk to people's health and and their environment. There have been a lot of reports saying that uh, shale exploitation leads to sort of large fugitive methane emissions, which is a very, very powerful greenhouse gas. All of these aspects are being subjected to extreme scrutiny at the moment. Um, There's lots of ongoing trials and uh, investigations into all of these aspects of of fracking. But the fact is, fracking has been going on since the late 40s in in the US and around the world. And uh, I think if it had led to really irreversible environmental damage, I think we would have known about it by now. And finally, the more enterprising among us might well be asking the question, well, how can I cash in? Is there anything to buy at this stage? In the US, there's a very established industry. Here, it seems that we've yet to really get going. No, it's true. One of the biggest players in the shale gas space is Quadrilla Resources, which is backed by Lord John Brown, the former CEO of BP. That's a private company. It's not listed. There are a couple of listed companies, iGas, for example, and uh, Egdon Resources, but they're very small. And these are companies without much production, or if if any at all. And, uh, you know, the only asset that they really have is their acreage. But it could be years before they actually... A, start drilling, and B, discover anything. So it's a quite a speculative investment at this stage. There are big European oil companies that have actually started investing in UK shale, for example, Total of France. Uh, Centrica, the owner of British Gas, has also uh, taken a small stake in, uh, in, in the Boland shale in the north. 
but as I say, it's going to take a while for any results to come through in terms of exploration. So it's 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 quite far off in the future before we're going to be seeing any sort of big returns from this industry. So the UK is not going to become no country for old men anytime soon. Thanks very much, Guy. There's more on fracking on our Money Matters blog, which you can read on the FT Money website. The address again is ft.com forward slash money. We're always keen to hear from readers and listeners. If you want to let us know about a hot topic or share your thoughts on a particular issue, you can do so via Twitter. The handle is FT Money or go online to ft.com forward slash money. Or you can email us. The address once again is money at ft.com. We'll be back next week, but for now, it's goodbye from me, Guy, and our special guests, Bill O'Neill and Matthew Beasley. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.